Hi, I'm Leslie Carrara Rudolph. I'm Lolly Lard Pop. And I'm Abby Kid Abby. And you're listening to Sci Fi Saturday Night with the Dome. Sci Fi Saturday Night. Sci Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Welcome to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast coated with a thin candy shell to help augment the auditory experience. Tonight on episode 430, we look forward with great excitement to listening to people talk, because that's what we do. On board for tonight's podcast is kind of an abbreviated crew. Somewhere sitting in the background is Criano, who's, who's running the board for us, but is not involved whatsoever other than pressing the record button and stopping the record button. And beyond that, um, our Eastern Seaboard Chinese, che- Chinese Checkers champion for the 2020 season, an official Boy Wonder cosplayer and part-time joke writer for Ricky Gervais, joining me tonight is Captain Cam. Cam, welcome. Why, thank you. And, uh, well, I... Bad news. Um, uh, Ricky Gervais has put me on hold for a little while. I, I was going to say, I figured he'd fired you. <laughs> no, well, he's put me on hold, you know, until things die down a little bit. You know, some of those jokes I wrote for him a few weekends ago, just some of them didn't go over quite as well. So we're just going to, we're just, we're, I'll just play a low profile now. Yeah, the thing that I loved more than anything else was the day after the event. They announced he was right. He wasn't coming back next year. And they announced who the, who actually was, which was actually even funnier. <laughs> Me, I'm just a guy they call the Dome. Uh, tonight, if you're listening at night, today, if you're listening during the day, this is a podcast. We don't really know when you're listening one way or the other. Um, we're in Australia. Actually, we're not in Australia. Uh, I'm in Area 51. But joining us from Australia is uh, a writer that I'd, I'd like to y'all to learn about and get to know. Uh, the, her first book is called Face Fury. It's just come out a few, a few uh, weeks ago, months ago. Uh, Liz Butcher joins us from Australia. Liz, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thanks for having me. Now, this is, I hope this is going to be fun. But before we get to the fun, uh, we're all kind of aware of, of what's going on in Australia, how are things where you are right now uh, in terms of the kind of nationwide fires that are happening and and are you okay where you are and stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay where we are. We're, we're pretty safe, knock on wood. Um, we haven't been directly impacted um, other than uh, you know, smoke and haze and things like that. Um, but there are fires in, in my state um, and as you know, pretty much Australia-wide, so it's pretty dire um, circumstances here at the moment. Well, I just, you know, from our point of view, our thoughts and prayers are with you, and and we hope for 
the best possible outcome from from all of the devastation that we've seen uh, there. And let's move on to something less gloomy. <laughs> if, no, if thanks, guys. I appreciate the support. So, yeah. You're very welcome. <laughs> Feet Fury is your debut novel. It came out in December. Somewhere in December. Uh, October, October, November. Yeah, it's been a few. Yeah, a couple of months. Yeah. Okay, and this is your first novel. You've had some short stories uh, uh, um, published before. This is your first long-form novel. I dare you now to describe this book. Having read it, and Cam, you having read it, um, I, 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 the past couple of weeks on the show, we've had a number of authors whose uh, books kind of defy definition in one way or another. Mm. Um, this is listed as a horror book, but it isn't. Sorry. <laughs> hate to be the one to break your, you know, to, to call whoever it is a liar who said that it was, mm. but it's not. So how do you, how would you describe this book? Um, I kind of describe it more as sort of a mythological dark fantasy with bits of horror in it, um, not a standalone horror. Um, but definitely sort of more that mythological dark fantasy uh, kind of storyline. So if I was going to do like a, uh, I don't know, just kind of a blurb about it, it would be something mm -hmm. along the lines of happy 30th birthday, Jonah Sands, or maybe not. Yeah, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, his best friends, Trista and even Ava Gardner, uh, Ava Gardner, by the way, threw me as a name, but that's a whole other story, who are two devoted friends of his all come together for his 30th birth birthday with disastrous consequences. The book starts out with a car crash and escalates to global metaphysical pandemic, which seems to be all tied into a mysterious red-haired lady, and then it gets weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Only then does it get weird. <laughs> No, oh, it totally gets weird, and uh, it gets it gets weird in in some of the coolest ways possible. So, how did you, um, you at one point in the book talk about uh, Tristan and Ava's parents as who uh, actually, in a lot of ways, raised Jonah. Uh, after the death of his parents, as Mr. and Mrs. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, and and they end up being the uh, the kind of textual narrators who who put put things into boxes for them, or at least attempt to in the beginning. Mm. Uh, where did this come from? How did you figure out that this was going to be your first book? Um, I guess it, it sort of it was an idea that I toyed with for quite a while. Um, I actually started writing it back in 2012, so it was a really long project. Um, I've always had a huge fascination, obsession with um, ancient history and mythology, and it was sort of around the time where um, a lot of stuff was happening in the world which has only escalated really since then uh, and it kind of just got me thinking you know what if um 
people from the past, specifically, you know, ancient deities and whatnot, could come back or could get a glimpse of what was happening now? What would they say? Would they be horrified or um, would they think that we'd ruined everything or just that's sort of how it came about? Would they think that we deserved to still be here? Um, And that's the whole premise, I guess, of... um, fate's period where the fates come into it they've basically come back and just gone you know what we've had enough we've had x amount of chances you keep stuffing it up we're going to kill you um and then we've got basically the old gods that come back because without us they don't exist either so kind of selfish um reason to form an alliance but basically they want man to survive because they survive as well so yeah, that's sort of how the idea came about. Not necessarily that we are deserving, but we can still find reasons amongst each other to to fight to be here. Um, well, we may not be deserving if we don't survive, neither do they. <laughs> so what, what were your muses in putting this together? What this a book like this doesn't come out of thin air and it doesn't come out of hey i've got an idea what happens more than anything else is something kicks you in the head and then other things begin to come together what was it that that brought this out yeah i I really can't say it was just like i said it was an idea that's developed over a period of time and i sort of just jotted down some ideas and I had the name Jonah um, pretty much straight away and before I'd even really sort of fleshed out any story ideas, it, it was almost like, it's going to sound crazy, but it was almost like this character of Jonah was kind of, um, you know, nudging me, you know, come on, like, what are you going to do with me? Come on, let's do something. And it just wouldn't go away. So I just started jotting down ideas and then I literally would just put pen to paper and it would just completely just pour out the whole concept um so, for the book. so what so you're describing was, more than more than anything else is that the characters wrote the book <laughs> pretty much i had nothing to do with it i can't take any credit <laughs> so when, when when these characters started dancing into you um was was that what your first construct was constructing these characters because i got to tell you uh from my point of view in reading the book and i think cam feels the same way to a large degree yeah the characters are so structured and so well written and so well developed that when they talk you can hear them it's not he said blah, 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 blah. then she said blah 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 blah, blah. it's like <laughs> you feel as if it's a conversation you feel mm-hmm. as if they're real people talking and it makes great sense mm. yeah i think especially the first three so tristan ava and jonah um were definitely the first parts of the development so they really sort of developed first as the story sort of fell into place around them. So when um, I first started creating, I guess, their profiles, um, the only other sort of characters I had in mind at that point, aside from Mallory and Alex, um, was the Fates because 
obviously needed them from the, the get-go, um, and Zeus. So I hadn't really decided on um, anybody else initially. Uh, the focus was on just those three and getting their back story sort of organised because I think their their backstories play a huge part throughout the whole book as it sort of unravels as the story unravels. So um, I guess that's probably why it comes across as structured as it does because a lot of thought really had to go into um, not just who they are but um, where they've come from and who they've come from without giving too much away. <laughs> so literally there's there has to have been a ton of research on your part in in understanding who these creations were that that you were building, who these myths were that you were drawing from, and how they were going to interact. Uh, to some extent, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm a massive ancient history mythology nerd from way back. I was a complete dork as a kid, just read it for fun. So a lot of it was still just background knowledge that um, I just remembered. Um, a little bit more um, sort of research had to go into uh, the gods I selected for the alliance, so the, the ones that made the final cut, especially sort of the more Indo, um, Indus Valley pantheon, wasn't as familiar with, with them. Um, so I guess research went more into them individually um, as to what their powers were and how they could contribute to the story uh, and that side of things. But the general um, mythology that sort of plays throughout, most of that was sort of just touch-up knowledge. Um, it was all just things that I had loved of, of reading about when, you know, I was younger. It's, yeah, and... Go ahead, Well, was, well she, 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 she left a question wide open there, so I'm going to step in. Yep. Um, it is very It's very interesting because one of the things I noticed is you have... There's a huge amount... Whoops. There's a huge amount of pantheons out there of, of gods, mm. and you, you, you chose some, some very interesting ones to use, like Egyptian, Greek... Uh, Sumerian, Babylonian, and of course you have Vishnu and Kali in there as well. Um, mm -hmm. But you, and you said something about make the cut, which was the question I was asking all through the book. How did you make the decisions which pantheons to include and which ones not to use, like say Norse or some of the Chinese mm -hmm. or Japanese mythologies? Yeah, so I basically started with so um, Mesopotamia, which was the first. Um, civilization. So I started with their pantheon first, which is where we sort of see, um, you know, Anana um, and Enki, both of those gods come from their sort of pantheons that form through there. Um, and I guess for me, then the, the next natural progression, I guess historically, was then to go Egypt um, and Greece um, and then the Indus Valley. So it's sort of more a timeline thing um, really than just randomly picking um, pantheons because I wanted to sort of represent the oldest um, gods um, from ancient history rather than just sort of randomly picking ones I might like. So, yeah, it was very much planned to select gods from those specific four pantheons. Um, and then it was basically just going through each of those to work out which gods would work well together, which ones represented sort of aspects or powers that um, I wanted to include um, to kind of give the alliance a sort of, a, I guess, overall 
strength so that, that would actually be of some use. Yeah. And so when you said make the cut, were there other ones you were considering or is it, because it, it, I like the what you're talking yeah. about. You, you started as a progression from some of the oldest civilizations of mankind to whom the gods were mm -hmm. connected to and moving your way forward up through Mesopotamia and up through India and Egypt and Greece. Um, but were there any mm -hmm. others that you had considered? Um, not so much from other pantheons, though. I had a longer, I guess, list of gods from the four that I had selected initially. So I probably had um, a short list of maybe, I guess, depending on four to six gods from each of the four pantheons I'd, I'd selected. Um, and then it was just initially there was more in the story and then going through the editing I kind of chopped a couple um, out. Like I had Athena um, and I had Mayart from Egypt. Just I found that they weren't really contributing so I gave them the sack essentially. <laughs> but uh, it kind of got culled down to the, the gods that you have in the final book. And that's that's understandable. I, I would agree with you. It, 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 I think too many more gods, and uh, and they would uh, they would have all pretty much gotten lost in the shuffle. But yeah, yeah it just it was exactly. is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I I noticed as I was reading that there were some wonderful ideas. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> Cam is working on our show notes, clearing up my syntax as I'm trying to type and talk <laughs> at the same time. That's teamwork. <laughs> yeah, it, nice job. Um, there, there were actually, uh, uh, yeah, I have to. There, there were actually two things that I thought uh, kind of ran somewhat parallel lives to this. And one was Neil Gaiman's American Gods, and the other one was Terry Pratchett's Good Omens. Okay. I haven't actually read either of those, but um, I probably should. Wow. Okay. I'll give them a try. I haven't read them, but um, I, I've wanted to read American Gods uh, for quite some time, but it's a really big book, and I kind of just uh, haven't had the chance, but it, it is on the to-do list, but I haven't read that Terry Pratchett one either, so I'll definitely put it on the list. Give Good yeah, Omens a try. I will. I will never stop raving about that one. So definitely give that one a try. It's actually a Terry and, Pratchett Neil Gaiman collaboration. And I knew yeah, nothing well, actually, about yeah. Terry Pratchett so. prior to seeing uh, seeing the beginning of it on Netflix, and then going, okay, now I've got to go read it. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'll have to read them. I actually did um, Neil Gaiman's masterclass uh, online last year, which was very cool, and he did reference American Gods a fair bit through there, which did pique my interest. So, yeah, definitely on the list of ones I want to read. So, okay. I uh, See, I thought I had something really good there, and you were going to go, well, yes, I've <laughs> this and that. Not a clue. I was totally <laughs> off base with that. What the hell? Shit happens. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm still interested to, sit, to hear what you have to say. It, and, Cam, you understand what I'm saying there, right? Right, because when you, when you read American Gods, 
um, in the case of, I mean, hopefully don't give away too much, but he kind of does the same thing where he lo- he reaches out to African mythologies, Norse mythologies, um, dear Lord. Greek think, mythologies, everyone Greek. you can possibly think of. Right, he reaches and, and, out to all of them and pulls little pieces in from here to here to create this wonderful tapestry of a story. Awesome. Yeah, and it, that's what I thought about. Yeah, I, now that Don't mentions it, yeah, I, I would have thought the same thing that maybe <laughs> there was a little bit of, you know, that the, the, the you know synergy going there because there's a lot of the same thing. You create a tapestry with these interesting. Go- I mean, I loved. I, I love. I'm not usually a big fan of main characters. I've always fallen in love with the, the characters on the side. But I love Jonah. I loved Ava, and I loved. Oh, I love yeah. Tristan. Yeah, but but the gods were so well done. Like Zeus. Zeus is one that I I can't stop talking about because you haven't stopped talking about him all day today. I know. I know. I know. But, but it's the character design, write down each one of the gods. You took the time to give them their own unique style, the way they look, what they wear. I'm not going to give too much away. I want people to go and read this, but pay attention to how Liz describes these characters because you do a great job of describing just down to their clothing, like Zeus showing up in, you know, a pair of blue jeans. Well, actually, technically, he doesn't immediately show up in blue jeans, but I can so see him switching over to blue jeans. Yeah, Yeah. and I guess the thing for me with Zeus particularly, I didn't want to um, portray the heavy-handed male figure that he is quite often depicted with because I felt that kind of ran too close to um, modern perceptions of God, and that's what we were trying to sort of steer away from because um, to me it made sense, and I don't know if this is the same for like American gods, but it made sense to bypass um, gods that are presently being worshipped and go back to the old ones, but I wanted to also kind of make them a bit modern so that they could still be relatable. Um, and the good thing about using the ancient gods is they all had human failings, which makes them really not easy but more interesting to write because you're still just writing them almost like they're human. They've got failings and interests and they bicker and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, it just it, it's easy to make them, um, I guess, well-rounded, I think. Yeah, There's, one of the things – oh, go you ahead. first, Thelma. No, no. Okay. no, no, go ahead, continue on. <laughs> well, because one of the other things I noticed about Zeus is you, you cleaved you, – there's – You've given him his own personality, but you also gave those little hints of the Zeus that we know from mm-hmm. Greek mythology, like the, yeah. I'm going to say this very roughly, I'm sure people, but I'm trying to be very polite about this, that he liked the ladies. And so you Absolutely. see that in that first moment <laughs> where he first appears and he kind of gives that wink to Ava and it's like, yeah. yep, that's the Zeus I remember. That's it, yeah. And that advocates the freedom of wearing a toga. Like, it's very much, very yep. much just from the start. Yes. <laughs> you get that from him straight off the cuff, yeah. Yes. You know, Liz, there's, there's a unique precision to the way in which you write. And that, that precision in other writers can come off as kind of dry and didactic. In your case, it lends an air of vibrancy to the way the characters work, the way the settings 
are described the way the interrelationship between characters work. Do you set out at, at any point during your writing process to like almost put a Bible together of here's my character. Here's what they look like. Here's what they sound like. Here's their favorite song. Here's where they grew up and here's what blah, 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 blah. Or how do you, how do you do that? Probably more so now with my more recent work, I probably do that a bit more with Fate's Fury. Not so much. Um, The characters sort of, especially Tristan and Ava and Jonah really kind of just evolved as the story went. So I think also because the way the story develops, there's not really any room to, I guess, talk about their favourite song or what their interests and hobbies are because the book really just hits the ground running. So um, it's only in snippets that you kind of get a back glimpse as to the things that, they're interested in the things that they like because the reality is there isn't really time for it. So um, any glimpses that you really get are sort of the more the things that bind them together or what made them friends and what makes their friendship so strong rather than the bits of their personality that makes them individual, if I guess that makes sense. Yeah, no, it it absolutely does. To to my way of thinking, however, you also – you know, dropped into this novel a bunch of music. You you almost dropped in a playlist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Was that was that intentional? Yeah. Uh, not intentional, but also not surprising. I'm a huge music buff, so um, it's a huge part of my life. I love it, and obviously at the very start, we've got uh, Blue Oyster Cult uh, in there, and I just thought with that particular scene, especially. The song had to be mentioned. I want people to read that and, and listen to the song and really just kind of get that whole vibe because I thought without mentioning the song, I think we'd kind of leave the scene a little flat. Um, and, yeah, I guess there's always songs sort of popping up here and there throughout it, but that was definitely the, the key one. Um, and I did actually have a playlist that I would listen to and I was writing it, so it's interesting that you think there's kind of one that, progressively developed through the book but um yeah it doesn't surprise me that that kind of came about but it wasn't in i didn't set out to do it either so when you were writing i'm assuming the stereo is blasting at some points in the background and you're thinking yeah that's that's the mood i'm looking for yes or if you're a song and i'd picture a whole scene just unfold and I'm like yeah that's it and I add it to my little Fates Fury playlist on Spotify have <laughs> just yeah this play playlist I just play in rotation or if there'd been a little while between when I actually get to write it I'd, I'd get withdrawals on most and I'd have to listen to my little playlist to kind of you know touch base with with the characters again I'm such a nerd um but yeah that had its own little playlist and music definitely played a big part while writing it, it's it's clearly obvious that there's a huge difference or, or there can be a huge difference between the the planning and structure of a short story and the planning and and and, and structure of a full novel and the mm-hmm. novel itself requires a level of for many writers a discipline of uh, mm-hmm. I have to write 
at this desk at this time, write X amount of words a day, and not, or I don't feel as if I've actually worked. Uh, do you have that kind of a discipline? Uh, how do you write? When do you write? Where do you write? Uh, I'd like to say I do, but not so much. Um, the only real routine I sort of have is um, I get up really early in the morning um, to go to work and I get there, I'm at my desk by six. So I've got two hours at work before I actually start my day job where I can just sit there without any distractions and work away. At home it's a little bit harder to get that locked-in time um, with the family. Uh, but I just try and do it when I can. So even if it's on the train or every day I'll buy it, it's just not necessarily um, structures to wear or um, how. <laughs> it's just basically crammed in where I can fit it, essentially. Yeah, I've always found that for me, uh, sitting in my office here in Area 51, uh, my best work gets done right around sunrise. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, That's my favorite time of day. It is absolutely my favorite time of day. And it's like well, this morning at, at 3.30, which is a ridiculous time for a human to be moving. Uh, <laughs> I, Quarter I was, to four here every day. <laughs> I'm sitting at my computer going, blah, 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 I'm getting this, I'm getting that done. And at like 5.30 yeah. I went, I'm on my fourth cup of coffee. I've gotten so <laughs> much work done, and my day is over. I don't need to do yeah, anything. Yeah, I can go to bed now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're right. Um, I just I think it's that that time of day is so quiet, and everyone's asleep, and you know you're not going to get interrupted because no one else is crazy enough to be up at the same time as you, and you can just focus and get things done because you're just fresh and. There's no, no sort of the day hasn't had time to kind of bring down your creativity yet. You're just starting off pure creativity and the rest of the day can just come as it does later on. So I think that's probably why I'm most productive at that time. The other really, really good thing to do before the sun rises is if you have nothing to process. It's the only time you can watch a movie without interruption. <laughs> <laughs> So if I started doing that. that, then I would get nothing else done for the rest of the day. Yeah, good point there. <laughs> so aside from the Neil Gaiman masterclass that you took, who are your inspirations when you write? Um, lots of different – I read a lot of different types of things. So, I mean, I've been a Stephen King fan since I was about 9 or 10, so he's always well up there. Um and Rice was another one. I just really loved the way that she creates those visuals in her writing. I've always loved that about her stuff. Um, but pretty much everything and everything. I'm a really broad reader and I read a lot of nonfiction as well. So it's kind of really hard to sort of say I have a favourite favorite authors. Um, but if I like a book, I like a book, if that makes sense. I don't necessarily really go by who, who wrote it, just whether I like it or not. Completely not so, helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so my next question was going to be, what do you read? And the answer seems to be pretty much everything. Yeah, pretty much. Um, especially with nonfiction. I tend to alternate between a fiction book and then a nonfiction book because I'm pedantic like that. Um, and the nonfiction stuff will just be, I don't know, I'll watch something random and just think, oh, I want to know more about that. Um, and so I'll go read a book about it. Um, and then I'll mix up and read something fiction 
next. Um, but I've got like a ridiculous queue of books on my Kindle waiting to be read. So I'm pretty much banned from adding anything further to that until I clear clear that. Could probably see me out through the rest of the year. So um, yeah, I just like reading different stuff, mixing it up. As I got to the end of the book, and Cam and I got to talking about the end of the book, mm-hmm. it it clearly cries out for a second chapter. I don't know whether you think so or not, but I clearly <laughs> Well, as I, I, I said to Dome was there it's I, I, I likened it to the Hobbit. The Hobbit, you can read the mm-hmm. Hobbit and you can read it a hundred times over and never feel the need to leave the Shire ever again once you get to the end. But you're always got that niggling worry of where did that ring come from? You know, why does it have that writing on the inside of it? And there was just, and I don't want to give away anything else about, you know, there's some cool spoilers built into it. You and I both being very, very careful. (laughs) But you you and I, Liz and Dom, know what I'm talking about. Everybody else, you can just go read the book. That's it. (laughs) There's some wonderful little threads just dangling off this tapestry that you just want to reach out and pull and see, where did this one go? And so I, I guess that was my question. I asked Doma, I said, you know, I th- I just want to know, is this, you know, was this just a one-off and you're done? Or is this something where you have a larger story arc, you know, a la maybe R.R. Uh, R. Martin or somebody like that? Or, oh, please you know, not Lord George of the Rings. R. R. Martin. All right, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> all right, let's go Lord of the Rings then. But, you know, but you know, I think we all know what I'm saying is that, you know, yeah, is there another... Yeah book or two uh, planned potentially it's it I, I guess I kind of intentionally left it if I did decide to do that um there'd be an opening to do it without seeming like a forced continuation um right. but also if I didn't go ahead that it would stand alone well enough on its own like you said with the hobbit um but I guess I really kind of just wanted to see how it would be received, um, and I've been quite blown away with the feedback that I've gotten about it. And quite a, quite a lot of people have asked, you know, what's going to happen next. So uh, it's definitely things going to be on the cards. It's definitely got me thinking about um, about it. And after spending so much time writing it, um, I really do miss my characters, which sounds you know quite lame, but. You know, I kind of feel like they're knocking on the door going, hey, Liz, don't forget about us. What are we going to do next? Thanks for the holiday, but, you know, we're keen. So, um, Which, yeah. It's, but <laughs> I was, I, all I was going to add there is what's, what, what shirt is Tristan going to wear next? Because yeah, it was well, exactly, one of the cool things exactly. I, I love was that <laughs> all throughout the he's wearing like a different concert shirt through T-shirt throughout the whole thing. To actually raise that. Most people, I think, don't pick up on it so you're the first person's actually picked that out and gone hey cool um it, so it gave me so yeah, much of his personality so yeah. yeah 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 um and that was definitely one of his little um personality quirks um that his shirt pretty much you, you knew you knew what kind of mood he was going to be in based on whatever shirt he was wearing it's what kind of day he was going to have um and there's a there's a scene where one of his shirts get ripped and he's quite mortified and um, mm-hmm. doesn't understand why nobody else is 
you know, feeling his pain <laughs> over it. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you people? Um, I so felt that, yeah, I, very much a part of him. I felt Tristan's pain in that moment. So, you know, I, <laughs> I'm right there with him. Oh, good. That's good. I'm glad someone did. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a point in time when, as Warren Zevon said, we buy books because we think that it buys us the time to be able to read them. Um, and that's really not the case. And at some point, you need to make a decision. Uh, I would suggest that readers who are looking for something new, something different, something that works on its own level and does a marvelous job while doing so, and is very unique that Liz Butcher has given us Fate's Fury, and you should give a look at it. Uh, you can get, I think, the first chapter of it on her website. We will have links to that. You can pick up her stuff on Amazon. We'll have links to that. You can find other stuff on her website and on Goodreads and find out how other people are uh, thinking, what other people are thinking about the way she's, what, she, what she's putting out there. But I got to tell you, uh, it's different. It's unique. It's engaging. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. And so have you been, Liz. Thank you so much. For joining us tonight. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Oh, cool. Well, not everybody <laughs> says that on this show. So from, from, from us to you, I'm happy that we're doing it. Uh, and if, if it's nighttime, have a good evening. And if it's daytime, have a great day. Take care, everybody. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of GraniteCon, Plastic City Comic Con, and BooksandBooze.com. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book idea for the rapidly approaching National Punctuation Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. My Particular Family, the audiobook, is also available on Audible, because I'm not really sure where else you could possibly find an audiobook these days. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. It's the hot. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Librarian. Thank you so much, ladies. And from his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. We'll talk soon, Stacy, and stay strong, Liz. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. Hello, nurse. This is Wacko. Yakko. From Animaniacs. And we'd love to stay and talk to you, but I've got a party emergency. You stay right here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. See you later. Good night, everybody.